insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into Things, a podcast network. to Insights into Entertainment, a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media. Your hosts, Joseph and Michelle Whalen, a husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics, are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom. Welcome to Insights into Entertainment. This is episode 36, A Lifetime of Happiness. Aww. I am your host, Joseph Whalen, and my lovely and talented co-host, Michelle Whalen. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today, Michelle? I am cold. How are you? you? (laughs) Yes, we finally did have weather change here, uh, although... We went from 95 degrees one day to 65 degrees the next. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yay, fall. It's no no wonder everybody's getting sick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So we've got a pretty busy show today. We do. uh, Disney Detective. We will talk about uh, Disney being sued uh, by a man with autism and why that's happening. Uh, We'll talk about Disney's domination at the box office coming to a close and looking at the 2020 movie year and seeing where they'll stand. Uh, then we have, um, Disneyland's first ever customer, um, using his lifetime ticket every year since 1955. Then in our entertainment news, we have some Star Wars news. Uh, so the screenwriters, uh, have promised to tell us who is Ray, which is kind of nice since it's the last movie in the series. So <laughs> right, <clears throat> might as well do it now. Exactly. <laughs> Don't save it till later. Right, right. Uh, we'll talk about Stranger Things being renewed for another season. And then we have some information on the Billy Joel anthology TV series that we are eagerly anticipating. Um, let's get right into it. Okay. <clears throat> Go for Disney Detective. So it seems that uh, Disney obviously uh, is in the news for this policy that had changed uh, a couple of years ago, actually. Um, and what it is is that the court case is actually um, finally g- getting a date. Um, so the lawsuit is actually against Disney for um, because they changed their policy for guests with disabilities. So back in the day, if you had any sort of disability, you usually were able to just go to the front of the line uh, and not have to wait or have a, a minimal wait. Um, and they really didn't require you to, to prove anything uh, for it. Now, there were special cards that um, people with more severe um ailments, you know, received, um, you know, to get a little bit more special treatment. But basically, if you had an electric scooter or were were in a wheelchair, you were able to kind of go to the front of the line. And a lot of that, too, was because the rides themselves, the the queue line wasn't equipped for handy, you know, to navigate, to navigate for people in in wheelchairs or electric scooters. Um, 
But then what had happened was there was a couple of travel companies um, from like the the New York area where people were hiring them to be their quote unquote tour guide throughout the park. And these people were basically going to the park and, you know, quote unquote, cutting the line, really, because nobody had a disability. Right. They would just, you know, somebody would kind of pretend and they'd get one of these little passes. You know, they'd bring a doctor's note or something and they were able to cut the line. Well, when word got out about this, Disney changed their policy. So now the policy is you still have to get this medical card from guest relations, but for most of the rides, when you uh, go to to get on the ride, they give you an appointment time, sort of like a fast pass to return, but you're not waiting, you know, in the fast pass line, you know, there's a separate line, but you're still coming back at a separate time. Well, the lawsuit was actually filed in 2014 by a man with autism who said, um, that this was actually more detrimental to him than just waiting, you know, in line. Um, and they were saying, you know, that it wasn't fair for people, um, you know, that had certain diseases or certain conditions because just giving them a return time is almost just as bad because of, you know, the severe you know, autism that they might have because they have to follow, you know, a certain path and a certain timeline. And, you know, you telling them to to come back in 45 minutes is, you know, for them, in some cases, they feel just as bad as having to just sit and wait in line. So we'll see, you know, where this goes. Um, You know, for us, we've gone to Disney, we've, you know, used electric scooters you know we had my mom at one point you know in a scooter um you know and it did kind of help to to ease you know the trip and i understand you know for some families um you know with with kids you know waiting in line is hard but you kind of have to know that going to disney right that you're gonna wait in line that's part well, of it and that's the thing like you know the first time that we went mm-hmm I wound up using a scooter because of the issues I had with my back. Right. And we were able, this was before their policy changed, right, we right. were able to take advantage of that and, and you know, And we weren't expecting the lines. it. Right. I didn't get the scooter for the sole purpose of doing right, that. Right, right. Um, so to a certain extent, I can understand the frustration and the need medically for that. Mm-hmm. But I think the accommodation that Disney made is more than fair as a compromise mm-hmm. for that because you can't accommodate everyone. And, and, right. And Disney isn't obligated to accommodate right. everyone. Right. If you're incapable, like there are numerous rides that I don't get on because I have a bad back. Right. I simply don't fit. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Sue Disney because right, they're because, not fat people friendly? Right. Right. Like that, I mean, that concept itself is an is just idiotic. I'm right. sorry. Right. The ability to, to to just sue a company because they're not convenient for you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to take your business elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. Take your business down the street to Universal and see how much more accommodating Universal is. Right. You'll find Universal's far less accommodating right, right. than Disney ever is. And we actually kind of ran into the change when we actually went to Disneyland if you remember when we were out there a couple of years back and you had the scooter 
and we went to go on the Haunted Mansion, and they said, oh, you have a scooter? Oh, here, return back. And they gave us a little pass to return back in, right. like, 20 minutes or something. Right. Because, again, their queue line couldn't fit the scooter, but they didn't want us to just, you know, cut the line, you know. Right, so and, it was, and even taking that mm-hmm. the next step further, you take a look at how much money Disneyland, mm-hmm. uh, Disney World has spent right. on reshaping their right. queues to mm-hmm. accommodate people with right. disabilities. Mm-hmm. They've spent millions of dollars on, mm-hmm. on their queue lines now to accommodate that. Yeah. So everyone is created equal. No exactly. one, No one gets special treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a policy in place where people were getting special treatment, mm-hmm. and kudos to Disney for actually shutting that down. Right, right. Because uh, you had a few bad apples who were trying to take advantage right, of it. Right, right. If you're going to sue anybody, sue the people that forced Disney to change their policy. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. sue Disney for it because they're already trying to accommodate you and make it as convenient for people with disabilities as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the lawsuit... Oh, my God, wait. Am I defending Disney? You are. So the lawsuit oh. goes on to argue Disney's current policy that treats people with all disabilities the same rather than recognizing that some impairments require special treatment. So a judge has ruled that the lawsuit will go to trial to federal court court on February 18th. Um, the article came from WESH2 uh, News, and uh, Disney had sent them a statement saying, Disney Parks has an unwavering commitment to provide an exclusive and accessible environment for all our guests. We fully comply with the ADA Act and requirements and believe that the legal claims are without merit. And I would, as much as it pains <laughs> me to say so. Everybody, take note. <sighs> As much as it pains me to say so, I would have to agree with Disney here. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you that Disney more than complies with the ADA Act. I believe they go above and beyond, yeah. you know, when when it comes to that. As so. much as I as much as I bash Disney for some of their business practices, they are exceedingly accommodating mm-hmm. for disabilities, allergies, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we talked everything. about last week the the food, you know, and not only the the options of the plant-based food for you know for vegans but just the gluten and the allergies and and everything else they do go way beyond you know any other theme park i think in my opinion you know or restaurant or entertainment you 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 would be fortunate to go to disney if you have disabilities because of how accommodating Mm -hmm. they are yeah it's not just a matter of you know providing wheelchairs you know They've reformed their queues. They've set up complete systems for this. They've mm-hmm. got there are special ride cars yeah. for for certain rides. Like obviously a roller coaster, somebody that's in a wheelchair. Well, you can't medically you can't do medically them, do that. But for a lot of the other rides, they made special ride vehicles where you don't even have to get out of your wheelchair. You just no, you know, and even if you step back and you take a look right. at Mission Space, where mm-hmm. Mission Space was a centrifuge-based ride mm-hmm. that people with certain medical conditions could not enjoy. So right. what did they do? So they came up literally with a second version of the ride so right. you could That's still go as... through it without having that medical right. risk. Exactly. So, you know, I, Disney's totally in the right on this mm-hmm. one. So next story. <laughs> So Disney has dominated the box office for years, but experts are saying that they might actually have some challenges with 2020. Um, So it's kind of like the fourth straight year in a row that they have been reigning. Um, But now Hollywood insiders are saying that 
you know, things might be going uh, south for next year. But obviously they have, you know, things like Marvel and Star Wars and obviously with the Fox merger, Avatar is now, you know, under it. Um, but that this year was very strong. And next year, you know, they might actually have some competition from other studios like Universal and Sony. Um, you know, in 2018, they ruled the box office with Black Panther, uh, Avengers Infinity Wars, Incredibles 2. Um, they set a domestic box office record with $3 billion, um, and then topping $7 billion globally. Um, you know, and then they broke records this year, you know, they, they broke records once they got to July. Um, and that was in part to, you know, the Lion King movie, uh, Captain Marvel, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, Avengers Endgame. And obviously, you know, with Avengers Endgame, they surpassed, quote unquote. <laughs> Cheating. But they, <laughs> they managed they cheated, to get past Avatar. Um, to get past Avatar. Um, and yet we still have... For the end of this year, we still have Frozen 2 coming out, and then obviously Star Wars, um, which are That's both... That's coming out this year? I think so. I, I think awesome. I heard rumors about it. <laughs> and both are probably going to, you know, gross over a billion, you know, each by the end of the year. Um, so looking at what, you know, 2020 has so far, really not a whole lot you know, as much of a powerhouse as this year, obviously, it was. So you have Pixar's Onward and Soul, which will be coming to the theaters in March and June. Um, then, obviously, the live-action remake of Mulan will be in uh, the end of March. Then Marvel's Black Widow will hit theaters in May, and the Eternals will arrive uh, in November. And then there's Artemis Fowl, which is based on a sci-fi series, um, and that is going to premiere in May. And then there's Jungle Cruise, which I didn't even uh, remember coming. I probably do, but I blocked it out maybe, which is based on the Disneyland ride and is going to be uh, starring uh, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, and that debuts in July. So Chock full of corny jokes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Um, you know, so they're saying... You know, obviously there's going to be, you know, hopefully the, the sequel of, you know, Captain Marvel coming. And then you have, you know, some newer stuff from Pixar. Um, but obviously there's no Avengers on the docket. And that was really right. kind of that big push. Yeah, and you're not going to get the um, kind of Avengers push with Black Widow that right. you got for a whole, you know, star-studded cast Exactly. It's going to be, you know, you're going to get... Plus, a fraction of it. Plus, everyone knows how, you know, Black Widow story ends. So. Right. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Um, so it'll be, you know, interesting to see, you know, what they do and, and who kind of comes to the forefront, you know, for, for so next when, year's. So, okay. And I want to put my Disney bashing hat on here. Okay. So when their box office numbers drop below... Your best friend in the whole wide world, your drop, BFF. Drop below their expectations, He's who's going to take the blame for it? Is Bob Iger going to no, take the blame? not your BFF. Or is Bob Iger already trying to find a scapegoat for this? It, this it's year's? Fox's problem. Yeah. He's going to blame it on someone he's else. He's going to blame it on Fox. Because they spent all their money buying Fox and not putting it into... More movies yep. for. I'm sure so, he's already right. got a scapegoat lined up. Every good plan starts with a good scapegoat. Right. Absolutely. So, okay. 
So our next feel-good Disney story. Yeah, I, I, I had to make sure to kind of, you know. Well, I defended Disney once. I bashed them once, so this will be a right. A so there's your balance. Uh, so Disneyland's first ever customer has been using his lifelong ticket every every year since 1955. So Dave McPherson was twenty was a 22 year old college student back in July of 1955. He was watching Disneyland's opening festivities on television on July 17th and he marveled at all the celebrities that were enjoying the park and thought to himself, why not go and be one of the first commoners to go? So he turned the TV off, hopped onto his motorcycle, and rode approximately 10 miles from Long Beach, California to Anaheim. He walked to the nearest ticket booth and just waited online. And that was at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, hang on a second. If he waited online, how is he the first customer? Well, because he got to the ticket booth and he just stood and waited. Well, if he's waiting on... Oh, so he there wasn't a line there. No, there wasn't. Okay. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. He okay. was the first one there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So with his ticket, he received a complimentary card, but didn't actually get to use it because the long ride back to Long Beach awaited him. Long ride. It was only 10, 10 miles. miles yeah. Like, it wasn't like he was walking. He well, had a he motorcycle. Was there since 2 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. So luckily for him, he received a lifetime pass for being the first commoner ever to enter the park and enjoyed his privilege. And he has enjoyed his privileges annually ever since. He takes his wife Wanda to the happiest place on earth along with a couple of his friends. And what was neat was the friends that he frequents uh, the park with. He, the the, uh, the guy friend, he had actually been at the park on opening day as well, but they didn't know each other back oh, then. It was funny. actually years later that they, you know, found each other and because of their common interest of Disney and realized, oh, my God, we were both there there on opening day. Um, he said that seeing a line of 6,000 6,000 people behind him was something he would never forget. For its opening day, Disney executed a televised event, which was open to Walt Disney's family, the media, and invited guests who were mostly celebrities of all kind. Um, and we actually have... We've watched this We've watched it. Story, yeah. uh, there were DVDs that came out. Um, so it is really kind of cool to watch. It was this big media, you know, event. With Ronald Reagan hosting. With Ronald Reagan and, uh, and Ark. Art link letter. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, various technical difficulties, you know, happening because it was played, all done online. Who played Davy Crockett? Um, oh, I can't think of it. But he made an appearance Yeah, he as made well. an appearance, you know, it was, so it was, you know, and obviously all the kids that were there were all celebrity kids, yeah. you know. Oh, uh, um, Kurt Russell. Kurt was Russell there, was yeah. there, yeah. Um, so during the park's opening... Um, so, uh, so again, it was a televised event for all of that. So then the park's opening to uh, the public the next day, Walt Disney actually was there, but then kind of disappeared shortly after the opening of the gate, leaving many people, you know, kind of disappointed. But despite that, he says it was still one of the best days you know, ever for him. So that's kind of cool. He had to go smoke. They didn't have any smoking in the park. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, so it was kind of a a nice little, you know, first ever paying guest. And how many lifetime passes has Disney ever given out to Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know uh, how how many they they ever gave out, but that's kind of cool that, you know, he's still using it, you know, so many years later. I suspect they are few and far between. Yeah. So, so that does it for Disney Detective this Disney week. Disney Detectives is done. I'll take off my ears now. There you go. Oh, didn't you didn't work. put them on this week. I didn't. I should have. 
Uh, we'll come back with entertainment news. So tell us, who is Ray? Tell us a Star Wars story. I don't know. <laughs> we have to go to the movie and find out. No spoilers? <laughs> no spoilers. So uh, the Rise of Skywalker, the screenwriters have promised to answer the question, who is Ray? Um, so it'll obviously be the last chapter of the Skywalker saga. Um, in the final installment, um, the trilogy is actually picking up, uh, the last installment of the trilogy is actually going to pick up, uh, sometime after the last Jedi ended and it'll answer and raise some pressing questions about the Star Wars universe. Uh, the screenwriter spoke with Empire about two pivotal questions that shape the movie. One is obvious and hard pressing and obviously fans want to know who is Ray. In the interview, he said that um, that the ever-present inquiry will be answered not only literally, but metaphorically. How can Ray become the spiritual heir to the Jedi? We keep coming back to who is Ray, and, you know, and nothing really kind of answered that, you know, um, but more importantly, um, you know, who is she as a character? Um, obviously, Kylo Ren kind of answered it and was like, ah, you're nobody, but that was really more, you know, a cop out that, you know, that the, the fans kind of felt um, with that. So now they're they kind of went back and rewrote. So now we're going to have more of, you know, uh, an answer. Um, you know, he, he said that, you know, it's, you know, that there's obviously something within her bloodline. Um, and obviously after, you know, again, um rise of you know the jedi and just kind of like throwing it you know out you know made it kind of oh it's it's nothing but really it's it's going to be something so there's well, that underlining thing and and what i take away from this is this is uh jj abrams first step to roll back that absolute horror film yeah that <laughs> travesty of justice that that was the last jedi right right because it, you know Abrams set it up to be this mystery of who she is. Right. And then Ryan Johnson just totally screwed right. the pooch on that one. Right. And ruined the entire thing. And now Abrams has to come back in and save his original vision. Right. Um, so it should be interesting. I just hope he doesn't have to burn too much of Rise of the Skywalker Rise of Skywalker uh hatching up all this stuff that Ryan Johnson screwed up. Yeah. So you only have to wait couple more months because december 20th is is right around the corner nice looking forward to it mm -hmm. hopefully it'll be better than last jedi i'm sure i don't think it could be much worse <laughs> um so we'll see yeah so tell us about stranger things so the duffer brothers have signed a multi-year overall pact on the back of their 1980 sci-fi uh uh, series, which is reportedly one of the streaming service's most watched original series. Uh, the streaming giant has handed out um, handed out a fourth season renewal to the breakout hit Stranger Things, which we kind of knew, but they also um, gave the creators, uh, Matt and 
Ross Duffer a multi-year film and TV deal overall that's worth about nine figures. The news arrives nearly three months after the third season of the 1980s sci-fi drama returned after almost a year of being off the air. A return date for the fourth season has not been determined. Um, so um, when they said, you know, the streaming service, which normally doesn't release their viewership data, announced on July 8th that some 40.7 million household accounts had watched part of season three since July 4th, when it, the third season uh, launched. That's more than any other film or series in just four days. Um, and obviously, you know, the whole show kind of took off. It ended up, you know, being nominated for a number of Emmy Awards and actually winning some. You know, the the stars, you know, the the kids were all, you know, unknowns and now, you know, now they're have, doing sprint commercials. Yeah, they're doing sprint commercials and other, you know, things as well. Um, you know, the um the the cast actually um the kids actually ended up making twelve times their previous salary deals. Um, from when they first started and were basically making $250,000 per episode. And the adult stars um, were making uh, close to $350,000 per episode in just this last year. Um, so it's unsure, you know, right now if season four will actually be the last one um, because the Duffer brothers had really been open about it from the get-go that they knew it wasn't going to be a long-running series and they said that it was either going to be somewhere between four or six seasons that they were going to do and then they you know but it's cool that now there's you know there's other things that are in the works you know that they're going to be doing so right. you know even if stranger things you know comes to an end there's something else that they'll be part well, of well and the and i think one of the you know technical issues that you run into when you're doing a series like this is the production time, mm -hmm. the season runs, and you're working with kids. The right. Kids grow up real right. fast in that age. Right. Frame. And that was kind of, you know, you, you definitely saw it in season, you know, three versus season one. And, you know, they do have to kind of move quickly yeah. if they, you know, if they don't want it to be two years later or, or something like that. Kind of like, you know, the same thing with the Harry Potter season, exactly, you know, the, yeah. the series of movies. They had to kind of move quickly through them because they didn't want them, you know, to age five years between one film, you know, and, and the next. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So Stranger Things is uh, up for another season and we've got... At least another season. Don't know how many more. Are they... Did they establish anything as far as any spinoffs or anything like that? No, no it sounds like it, it's... You know, it, it really kind of sounds like they're... You know, the Duffer Brothers are just going to write and produce other TV shows and, you know... But not you know, related to Stranger nothing, Things. Nothing, you know, I could definitely see them still kind of sticking with like the 80s theme, right. you know, because that's just so much of, of their, you know, their background, their childhood. Well, and everyone you know. loves that, even with oh, you yeah. know, your current season of American Horror Story. Oh, my God. Everyone's flashing back to the 80s. Right, right. So, you know, for all of us 40-somethings, 30-somethings, you know, it's just cool to to relive that and, yeah. and see that. So yeah. Speaking of the 40-somethings, oh, wait, he's not 40-something. <laughs> Uh, let's let's talk a little about Billy Joel. Uh, so yeah, this was something that I actually hadn't 
heard about and I was listening to the radio the other day and they kind of did a quick little blurb on it. So then I, I looked it up. Um, so Billy Joel, they're actually going to be doing an anthology TV series based on his music. So Billy Joel's catalog is populated with vivid, vivid storylines and popular characters, enough apparently to fuel a TV series. MGM is partnering with Universal Music Publishing Group to develop a scripted anthology series based around the songwriter's music, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The show is going to be titled Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, which is named after uh, Joel's 1977 track of the same name. And he actually had told Stephen Colbert in an interview that it's ranked as one of his five bests. Uh, Each episode of the project will build around his famous lyrics, including characters uh, like The Stranger, The Piano Man, Mama Leone, and Sergeant O'Leary. Joel worked... Uh, with his music team to kind of revamp the songs with new arrangements. Uh, Kevin Fox, who worked on Law & Order SVU, is creating and executive producing the show alongside Joel and his songwriter and the songwriter's longtime producing partner, Stephen Cohen, who wor- worked on the 19, uh, the 2017 documentary, Billy Joel, New York State of Mind. Um, so the president of MGM TV uh, M- MGM TV's woo, uh, development and production told The Hollywood Reporter that the focus is less on Billy Joel's life and more on the stories inside the catalog of the classic songs. Um, so with, you know, everything that that happened, you know, the last couple of years with Bohemian Rhapsody being such a popular movie, and then obviously Rocket Man, the singer actually told Rolling Stone in May that he doesn't have enough objectivity to do one. He said, I was going to write an autobiography at one time, and I did, and he said there just wasn't enough sex, drugs, and rock and roll in it for the publisher, so I gave the advance back, and I said, F it, that's me. I don't know if you know I'm interesting enough to make a movie out of my life. You know, I've lived it. I don't want to be redundant. So I thought that was... You know, a very Billy Joel. That, that definitely sounds comment, like a you know, typical Billy Joel comment. Yeah, so you know, he kind of feels like, eh, you know what, my life isn't, you know, all that exciting. But it definitely, you know, sounds like doing it from the perspective of the songs and the characters and how he came up well, with them and, and is an interesting take. Billy on Joel it. is a storyteller. Absolutely, you get that from his music. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked last week comparing Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen, right? Where Bruce Springsteen tells his stories. Right. And Billy Joel tells everybody else's story. Right, right. Um, and he, he's much more comfortable with that than obviously his own story. Billy Joel's had a very interesting life. Oh, absolutely. And you look at his but, early career and mm-hmm. some of the setbacks that he had and how he came up with mm-hmm. Piano Man. And, you know, the story behind that was right. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he was married to a supermodel. You uh, know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He went to Russia and played right. Russia at, at like the height of the Cold War. Like, right. Like, all of this stuff, he's so modest about. Yeah, yeah. And, and he doesn't think it was significant stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. it was it was incredibly and impactful And then he, he obviously had, you know, so many downfalls that he was able to, to rise up. Yeah. You know, the different car crashes and, you know, the different bouts with, you know, alcoholism and, and things yeah. like that. And, you know, after Christy Brinkley, you know, a couple more failed you know, marriages and things like that, but yet still going out on tour and, and, you know, kind of, he, he stopped 
you know, writing new music for others. You know, he still well, writes. And he, when and, he went from writing rock and roll to writing classical music, right. it was a whole, you know, like, earth-shattering change. Yeah, like, yeah. All, there's a story behind all of that. Right, right. And, you know, I don't know if it's that he's just so modest he doesn't think it's significant or it's one of those, they're too personal for him to, that could be too. to, to talk about, yeah. to give yeah. away. You know, they're his stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's always been the type of person who's written about other people's stories. Yeah, yeah. You know, And every song he has is a story mm-hmm. that his music is so diverse, the stories behind the music are so diverse I mean, you go from, you know, the the fall of the steel industry with uh, with Allentown mm-hmm. to you know the the fall of the fishing industry in in Maine and right. New York, and it's right. like, you know, the the different journeys he's taken his audience through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're all. I'm sure there's a there's um, elements of truth in everything. I'm sure he's oh, pulled the stories yeah. from people that from he's people talked that he to. knew or, or um, talked to. Yeah. But he's always been about telling other people's mm-hmm. stories. So this will be interesting. Right. Um, now with this, this anthology, he's not appearing in it. Right. He? No, it doesn't sound like it. It's basically, it's his music. It's not about, so this is a, a step deeper into looking at the characters yeah. and stories he's created. Yeah. In his I music. guess, you know, I, I kind of wonder if it's, more along the lines of the Broadway show moving out. Right. And, you know, is it that where, you know, or is it a deeper dive in who was... Mama Leone. Know, right, and who was the stranger? You yeah. know, obviously we know the piano man was him. Right, right. Um, you know, so I wonder if it's going to be more, you know, like that, or is it going to be more like the Broadway show, yeah. you know? It should be interesting. Yeah, look forward to it. That's all we had for entertainment news this week. It is. We will be back with our insightful picks of the week, which I didn't put mine on the show notes to I surprise know. you. Oh, oh, uh, surprise you. <gasps> yes, we'll be back. Okay. I bow to you, my dear. Now I'm like so intrigued. I can't wait. <laughs> So my insightful pick, I'm going to try and, and keep with the um, theming of this the time of year. So obviously we're in October. It's Halloween season. Our favorite time of year. Yay. And why is it our favorite time of year? Well, it's Halloween. Has, oh. <laughs> has nothing to do with the fact that our anniversary is on Halloween. Yes, we actually got married on Halloween. So Halloween is also our wedding anniversary. So that's it's special to that. And, and, and why we do that? Because it was your favorite holiday. Because it was my favorite holiday. And this way you wouldn't forget I would our never an- forget our anniversary. <laughs> yeah. And our daughter was actually born a couple of days before Halloween. So she's an October baby. So October is just a. And my son was born in October. Right. My mother was born in October. So October is a pretty busy yeah, so month. Yeah. So October is a very busy month for us. So I'm going to, you know, so for my insightful picks, you know, I'm going to try and keep with. The theme, and we were kind of, you know, talking earlier uh, that maybe we'll even do a special Halloween episode, yep. you know. So I got like a little less than a month now to, to plan. So, right. um, so this was actually a movie that a friend of mine who was very into horror movies uh, had suggested that I watch. Um, and thankfully, when I watched it, I watched it during the day. <laughs> In the morning with all the lights on, because if I had watched it at night, I really, 
Yeah, it, it, it was very disturbing. Uh, it is called Hereditary. Um, and so a brief uh, outline of the movie is when the matriarch of the Graham family passes away, her daughter and grandchildren begin to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying stories about their ancestor, um, trying to outrun the sinister fate that they have inherited. Um, the release date was actually on June 8th of last year. Um, it's streaming on um, Amazon Prime. Um, and it's just creepy. Um, if you want to be surprised by it, don't go to Wikipedia and read what the plot is because the plot basically tells you the entire... Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Because I went there to kind of get more information and when I read it, I'm like, that's exactly what happened. And I probably would have been upset. Right. You know, so the, the whole suspense of it, you know, uh, of everything there were, you know, and, and I think what was so great about watching it on Amazon was like when something happened, I was able to pause and go. <laughs> what? Take a breath. <laughs> Did that just happen? And like I, I rewound it like, you know, so definitely if you had seen it in a theater, you, you know, it, you would have had a, a different, you right. know, but, you know, definitely the whole, you know, the, the creepy aspect of, you know, you're you're watching it and, you know, the focus is on, you know, the main character right there. But there's something going on out right outside of your vision. You're like, holy freaking wow. Yeah. So definitely not for those that don't like horror movies. Um, not for kids. Definitely a uh, little bit of um, satanic undertones, um, you know, with, with stuff with like the grandmother. And, it's always good to mix a little Satan in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the the one daughter, uh, uh, you know, because it's it's a mother. Uh, it's uh, Tony Collette, who was the mother in uh, Sixth Sense. Okay. She plays the, the mother in this. Uh, Gabriel Burns is the father. Um, and then the, there's a, a son who's in high school and then the, the daughter who's uh, junior high. And the daughter is like totally creepy. You know, there's just something something off about her. Um, you know, so good makings for a, a, a horror movie. It's two hours long. Again, if you like watching movies in the dark, go right ahead. Maybe have somebody with you. But if you're kind of like a little bit of a scaredy cat, but you still like that that horror draw, w watch it with the lights on and, and have the pause button ready Nice for you to go, what? And yeah. this is streaming on Amazon? On Amazon Prime. Very cool. Thank you. Good mm -hmm. pick. Thank you. So my super secret insightful pick this week is a bit of self-promotion. Oh. Uh, Friday night at 9, uh, we released our latest uh, podcast show called Insights Into Tomorrow. Uh, during that show, uh, my son, Sam, and I, uh, we talk about current topics that have an impact on today's society and how those uh, impacts carry us through into the future uh, and how they're going to impact him as he continues to grow and mature. Sam is uh, in his 20s. He's in college at this point in time. So getting the perspective of someone his age is, for an old fogey like me, a <laughs> healthy thing. Uh -huh. um, we had a very interesting discussion. Our first show was about gun violence. Mm-hmm. 
And we talked about the Second Amendment, historical rulings on the Second Amendment, and how the Second Amendment has evolved from the time of when the Constitution was written Mm -hmm. to where we are today. Uh, Some of those developments um, I found kind of uh, disturbing. Um, But, you know, it's it's a fluid document. Um, Some of the things kind of scared me how – what probably should have been um, amendments to the Constitution turned out to be arbitrary rulings from the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that's not restricted to just the Second Amendment. But we looked at uh, deaths in the United States and, and what the leading causes of death were. And, and really, you know, gun deaths are don't even make the top 10, mm. you know, in the country. Um, but there's a huge focus on gun violence when right, there's right. A, uh, a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about some of the numbers where you've got over half a million people that die from heart disease. Right. And, you know, just slightly less than that, you have cancer. And, you know, we talked about how the, the main form of, of cancer out there at this point in time is tobacco. And, right. you know, everyone wants to see gun control legislation when... By an order of magnitude, we have more people dying from tobacco use, and the federal government subsidizes the right. tobacco industry. Right. Uh, so we we stayed on topic, but we talked about a lot of different things that influenced mm-hmm. the uh, the topic itself. Uh, we looked at some of the um, options that are on the table for gun control moving forward, and we also looked at the numbers. You know, we looked at how much money. Uh, gun control and uh, gun advocate lobbies were paying into political campaigns. Mm. And again, by an order of magnitude, uh, the amount of money that the gun lobbies are pouring in far outseeds the gun control lobbies. Mm, of course. By almost a factor of 10. Um, you know, and it, the discouraging fact is America has the best politicians that money can buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and lobbyists. You know, take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So it was a constructive uh, conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a, some things he and I agreed on, some things we didn't necessarily agree on. Um, but I think it, it makes for uh, a good subject matter discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be doing it monthly. Okay. So uh, this, obviously, this episode was our October uh, edition. We'll mm-hmm. have uh, another one coming out in November. We're working on on topics for that. Um, but it's available on our website. Well, not on our website yet. Scratch that. I haven't got it up there yet. <laughs> it's on YouTube. It is on YouTube, uh, and it is uh, available for audio at podcast.insightsintotomorrow.com. And it was posted on our Facebook page uh, yesterday when it went live, and that is uh, facebook.com backslash insight into things podcast. So check it out. It's a little bit different than our other shows, uh, and uh, you might find it interesting and insightful, you might say. Hmm. Uh, that was all I had for that one. Did we have any afterthoughts today? No, no afterthoughts today. No. Uh, we are doing, for our live audience, we are going uh, to uh, the Delaware Toy Show. Tomorrow. Tomorrow mm-hmm. at the Nerd Temple right. uh, in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. And, Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle. Sorry, Newcastle. Uh, so if any of our local listeners uh, are interested in doing that, that's always a great show to go to. Yeah, the to. toy show, the train show is today, 
and the toy show is tomorrow. Right. Uh, and I'm hoping to pick up another uh, piece of gold down there. I, mean, uh, I always yeah. seem to get at least one decent thing. Right. When There's I'm always down that there. one obscure Star Wars thing that you you find. So. I, I scored my my Empire Strikes Back carded Darth mm-hmm. Vader down there, and uh, that's my biggest score to date. Yeah, so I there. ended up getting the Mickey Mouse Playhouse from right. the 1970s. Yeah, uh, so it's great yeah, if you're so. into Hess trucks, if you're into Oh, God, Hess coolies. trucks, they, they got tons um, of trucks down there. Even a lot of people that do the trains from today, a lot of them are still there. Right. You know, tomorrow. So if you're into trains, they have that. Old tin toys from the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Tons of those. Video of, games. Video games. Um, a lot of modern toys down right. there. Bootleg DVDs. We won't advertise the bootlegs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a huge variety down mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a nice day. So that's it. I think we're done. Yep. Uh, we'll catch everyone next week with another great show. And uh, we're out. Another one in the books. All right. Have a good week, everyone.